This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. Yep. Uh, this, is, uh, this is our little show where people send us uh, calls and we review them and see if we can learn from them, uh, be it good lessons or uh, things to avoid. So, yeah, we're going to do that today. Uh, my name is Chris and that is Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Hey, I was doing really well until uh, about, I don't know. I, I don't know how long it's been now. It's been many days. Yeah. Not only do people send us calls, they send us better titles to the names. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I know the ones that you're talking about. Uh, so our last, I'll, I'll, I'll let you say the title since you brought it to my attention. But so our last episode uh, was about a patient uh, who fell down into a ditch uh, you should go listen to the episode because why they're in the ditch is actually really an interesting reveal. Uh, but they were uh, low down in a ditch and they were also uh, hypothermic. We named the episode Falling into Hypoglycemia. Um, but yeah, someone else got it way better. Yeah. I'm upset. I, I, I have name envy all of a sudden because uh, yeah. it was just it was perfect because I went on like this whole little spiel about, uh, you know, the CBG being low and uh, and they and Jacob on Instagram wrote in and said uh, the title could have been low and be cold. And oh, my I, God, it's amazing. It broke me in that moment. <laughs> it's the best title. I mean, go Jacob. I'm mean, just cranking it out of the park. And I think we even had like a like a dragons theme. Uh, yeah. Or, um, a House of the Dragon theme or Game of Thrones. And, whichever and Game of watching. Thrones and Double yeah. Dragon. It, it, there was a dragon theme throughout it. So like low and be cold. Like it just. It just makes so much sense. I think you even made a joke about how low what it meant in, in olden times, which is yeah, like, no. yeah, uh, yeah, this no. is the best part. I mean, it was just such a thematic. Uh, Jacob, uh, you're hired. You're yeah, hired. Chris, I, I you're fired. De- <laughs> no, I'm gonna, hey, hey, I'm going to I was about I'm going to deactivate Spencer. Um, so yeah, with that, if you guys would also like to suggest better titles than the BS we come up with, you can hit us up on social media. Uh, we are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook and EMS 2020 show on Instagram. And if you want your call to appear on this show, email it to us. It's EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And let's transition to talking about something I am very fond of uh, the rapid sequence information YouTube channel. That's right. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now. Uh, it's rapid sequence information. There's a whopping two, well, three videos if you count our little intro, but um, there's a whopping two videos up there, um, but there are more episodes to come. So the first episode that's up there is uh, we talk about the uh, Rhode Island uh, unrecognized esophageal intubation case that came out a number of years ago. Uh, and a lot of people really want to blame EMT cardiacs for it. And we make a case for why the article does not provide enough evidence to actually do that. Uh, but we have part two coming up because part one got a lot of attention from, well, people in Rhode Island. So we we're delaying part two a little bit because we got kind of some inside track and uh, some inside opinions on how things are rolling down there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, we, mm, it's like, interesting. Yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not going to change the outcome of part two that much. I mean, our message is still going to be the same, but man, there's some other points that we have to make. Like there's potential biases that probably should have been highlighted in the article that absolutely or not biases, but potential um 
Yeah, biases. Uh, conflict of interest. That uh, there it is. Sh- should have been. That's what I'm looking for. This should have been highlighted in the article that were not of uh, various parties involved. So yeah, it, I, it, it's going to be great. We also have another one coming up where we talk about uh, a bag valve mask that does not deliver the amount of oxygen that it should, and it's actually still out there and still being manufactured. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna release that. Uh, in fact, it provides significantly less oxygen under certain uh, circumstances than than it should. So thankfully, it's not like a brand I've heard of a whole lot, but uh, it is for sale in the U.S. Some people do have it, and it's uh, it's worth watching. So yeah. yeah, that's what's coming up on the Rapid Sequence Information YouTube channel. Please go get subscribed and drop a like. Uh, it really helps us out, and we'd appreciate it. Uh, also, if you're looking for free continuing education, go no further than Guardian CME. GuardianCME.com is a place where you can sign up and get free continuing education uh, just for watching episodes well like this one as well uh, and uh, yeah free continuing education is good because you need it for your cert and NREMT now allows you to get uh, almost all of your hours uh, online so you can get a lot of that knocked out by going to guardiancme.com and I believe this episode should be up there now so if now. you want to get CE yeah. yeah head on over to guardiancme.com and look for today's episode should be the same title and finally if you're looking for EMS 2020 merch which a lot of you are. We actually stopped talking about merch for a while. I don't know why, because it does great every time we bring it up. Um, go That's check true. out our EMS 2020 merch page on our T Public page. You can find links on our social media in the descriptions. Uh, and yeah, it's great because you can get t-shirts, you can get mugs. We have a peanut butter spider sandwich t-shirt, which doesn't actually have our name on it like anywhere. It's just a peanut butter <laughs> spider sandwich. Uh, oddly sells very well. Um, and people are going to ask you like, what the fuck, man? Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a great uh, it's, it's a great little shindig. You should uh, go check out our merch uh, page. And uh, again, merch that's mine. It goes directly to us because of the merch you guys uh, bought. We were actually able to buy and essentially convert one of the rooms in my house into an actual acoustically treated expensive equipment yeah. studio. Uh, so, which is why I always sound better than Spencer, who records on a closet. <laughs> no, uh, right now anyway, I'm in a garage with nice. like crates and blankets. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. never mind. Never mind. You've upgraded. Uh, last episode, he was I, legit I was. in the closet. Uh, so anyway, but let's get on to what we do best. And that is um, look at how other people actually work and then take pop shots from a distance. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, here's some themes, uh, learning points that are probably going to come up in this episode. Uh, we're going to discuss one of my favorite topics, how to cast a wide net. We're also going to talk about mm. syncope. And some of those differentials that uh, should probably be considered along with that. And, of course, the surprise lesson. Hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I like a surprise lesson. we're going to start this week's call talking about who gave us this call. So, uh, this... Yeah, As we always story, do. not always. I actually I recently listened to an episode where I was like, oh, wow, I decided to do it with my left hand. Like, we, right, we went right to the oh, system dang, first. Right. It was weird. <laughs> Boom. Which that's where I like to go. But anyway. Uh, yeah. So this story comes to us from a paramedic by the name of Snake Eyes. Snake, Snake Eyes, Eyes has two years of experience as a paramedic. Uh all right, two away from Ultimate Doom, yeah. so that's good. Uh, they are working with an EMT Advanced uh, 
known as Duke C. Tatum. Yeah, so the EMT advanced, I mean, honestly, like there's the inner EMT scope, but uh, the intermediary levels actually vary the most from state to state. Uh, when you talk about like EMT versus paramedic, and then you have these intermediary, these intermediary levels. Uh, EMT advanced is an intermediary level. Um, usually means that uh, it's an EMT that can also start an IV and give additional medications, but depending on what state you're in, it, it, the intermediary levels can change drastically. Uh, case yeah. in point. Rhode Island. Go check out RSI <laughs> to find out exactly why it's different. Perfect. Anyway. So All right. Uh, so Snake Eyes and the Duke work for a private ambulance company. Uh, they work 12-hour shifts in a dynamic deployment model. Notice I didn't do system status this time. You See, you would be so proud. You should be so proud. Very, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would. Very few, very few things. Very few people do true <laughs> system status. Very, very few. Uh, I won't get into why that is. If you want to know, email me or hit it up on <laughs> social media and I'll, I will regale oh, yes. you. It's good. Uh, yeah. This is a large and busy agency uh, and they work alongside multiple different fire agencies. Yeah. Oh, but really quick dynamic deployment model in a nutshell. If you don't know what that is, that's essentially you don't have stations. Uh, you usually what that means is you have posts around a county uh, or a municipality and you and basically those posts are depending on what level you have in other words how many available ambulances you have it depend that will change on what post you keep staffed uh, or you might have a post that's midway between two posts if you only have one ambulance that kind of stuff so it's, it's dynamic you don't always have these places staffed uh, versus a static deployment would be like a fire station which is you can't really move a fire station it's it's there but all right uh, anyway. challenge accepted so yeah challenge accepted i mean but well okay i'm there are kind of some dynamicness even to fire stations but i'm not going to get into that so we'll just move on fair enough uh yeah so here's the thing chris uh this is really the interesting piece to me uh because you and i have worked for a private ground company where you know like we worked with different fire agencies but at this place a lot of the surrounding agencies uh are bls like they, they transport their BLS transport, not all of them, but many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is really, to me, again, the most interesting part here. Uh, they'll have, you know, like they have their ALS guys kind of in this center core, and then they'll do mutual aid with these BLS ambulances if they need ALS support. Anyway, because of this, the ambulance service has actually a pretty large response area, uh, and they run that mix of like urban and rural, though, you know, again, in their area, it's mostly urban. Um, hospital choice doesn't really factor in, so uh, I'm not going to include all the details, but the hospital that is involved with this call is a large service uh, hospital that can handle uh, the things, as I say. Okay, perfect. Uh, typical staffing uh, is an EMT medic. Uh, Snake Eyes works an overnight 12, and interestingly enough, Snake Eyes has enough seniority at their service to move into a day shift should they choose, but they prefer nights because uh, their words are, the calls are better, uh, which uh, turns out to mean like they they feel like they're more serious calls and they also run less inter-facility transfers, which their service also uh, provides to the area. I would also like to point out that uh, this is a good uh, indication of the state of staffing uh, in EMS when Snake Eyes, who has two years, has enough seniority to pick daytime or nighttime. Yeah. Just going to point that out. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's do two whole years. Well, it's 1141. Oh, three uh, snake eyes and Duke C Tatum are resting uh, air quotes. there, resting uh, at one of their posts, which is a gas station uh, parking lot 
in a covert spot where the levels of light are low enough to permit this resting. And I think it's worth pointing out that uh, Duke is taking educational courses and attending those classes during the day before coming to work. Uh, Snake Eyes, however, is reportedly rested. But, you know, like, who's going to refuse a nap when the opportunity arrives? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't. Um you know, it's sort of like me in an EMS room with good food. Like I could have just eaten, but like if there's if there's <laughs> oh, a yeah. walnut wrapper, you know, some some other really delicious item, like I will take that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's the hard part about the job you and I have is that we have bases that are well stocked with snacks. So it's like living in an EMS room. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It's kind of terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, suddenly General Flag, their dispatcher, sends an alert page to their unit announcing that they are to respond to intercept with a BLS ambulance unit for an adult male chief complaint of syncope. Further notes indicate that the patient's family called and the patient is intoxicated. They depart code three okay. and to intercept with that BLS unit at a predetermined rendezvous spot, uh, which happens to be the BLS uh, ambulance services fire department's parking lot. OK, so, so the fire department is BLS. Yes, the fire department is BLS and they have okay. a BLS ambulance service that also works out at that area that does. Yeah. So, OK, I understand. And, and they are stationed at that. They are rendezvousing at that fire department. Gotcha. So our ALS ambulance uh, with Snake Eyes is going to go rendezvous with a BLS unit at the fire yep. department parking lot. All right. Got it. Uh, right. It's about a 20 minute drive from their location. Uh, Snake Eyes has their eyes on the road because they're driving. So good on them. And Duke goes yeah. back to sleep because it's 20 minutes away and he's been <laughs> in school all day. So is this the lights and sirens? Yeah, yeah this is lights and sirens at, nice. you know, at 11 yeah. now. I don't. So no yeah. lights or sirens. Copy All right. That. So uh, Snake Eyes reports the following. Uh, sometimes these are nothing and sometimes they're serious. So they have sort of a wait and see approach for the call. Uh, and that's kind of their pre-gaming. They're like, well, we'll find out when we get there. Um, but they, you know, yeah. they know that at least there are two EMTs who are currently doing patient care. So there's that. That's good. Um, so anyway, they arrive uh, the next day, Chris. Uh, to the BLS fire department and find. <laughs> oh, because it's 1141 when they got the call, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I believe you said, according to my whiteboard, 1141 and it's either 03 or 05 because I wrote like shit. <laughs> it's one of those. Sure. Right. Yeah. So they arrive the next day to the BLS fire department and find that BLS ambulance parked in a side parking lot and they pull up alongside it. Uh, there is one firefighter EMT from the fire department on scene, and there are two EMTs in the ambulance. Uh, and real quick, the ambulance is staffed with compensated EMTs. And so these guys are reportedly paid on a per diem basis. Um, and if they don't have staffing, then there is no BLS ambulance response and their area relies on like mutual aid from this main service or others. So. Anyway, oh, okay. Snake Eyes goes to make contact with the BLS unit while Duke fetches their cot. All right. So Snake Eyes recognizes the firefighter as C.C. Gordon L. But as that's a mouthful, Chris, we'll just call them C.C. Mm -hmm. So okay. Snake Eyes sees C.C. And C.C. <laughs> acknowledges them by indicating in tone and body language that this is a bullshit call. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. And I know, 
I know that. <laughs> Don't we though? All right. So yeah. Snake Eyes go, kind of goes like, all right. They enter the side door of the ambulance and see Scarlet EMT and Ripcord EMT. And of course, the patient who's noted to be kind of laying upright on the cot with an empty emesis bag in their hand. And we'll get we'll get more on them in a moment. So this I think this is the theme that I thought you were going with ever since you said Snake Eyes. I won't reveal the theme. Oh. Though. It's this sort so of like, ahead. well, I know the theme, I'm, but like, I, I don't want to give it away. So like you tell me, I know the theme and no, 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 I, I know the theme. Okay. And, and given what you just said, I think the theme may give things away, but also I may name the episode after this. I don't oh. know. But anyway, anyway uh, so yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's G.I. Joe's. Mm, That's damn what it. it is. All right. Yes. The theme is G.I. Right, Joe's. Perfect. Yep. All right. Yep. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Snake Eyes was the bad guy in G.I. Joe's as well. So I don't, I'm sorry, Snake Eyes, whoever you are that submitted this call that we're making you a Wait, villain. Wait, what? I wikipedia this and I thought Snake Eyes was a good guy in the in the movie. Is in he? the movie. Oh, you're right, you're right. No, no, no. Cobra Commander is the bad guy. Okay, Snake Eyes is a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snake Eyes is a good guy. Like, Never mind. Sorry, Snake Eyes. Wikipedia might have lied to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, rare, but could have right. Right. Uh, mm, where was I? <laughs> All right. So uh, you, we were talking, we have Scarlet and Ripcord. Or I just wrote down. So you have those okay, two. Well, Scarlet, uh, you've introduced them. was PIC. And so they give report to, uh, snake eyes. All right. So, uh, and we're in the back of their, we're ambulance, in the back of now, their right? ambulance. All right. So okay, gotcha. this is Joe, which is obviously not the real name. Uh, he's 54. Right. And tonight the son called into the fire station saying that Joe had passed out, getting up from the couch and possibly had a seizure. Uh, when we got there, Joe was alert and oriented. They denied any pain. They just said they like felt like they were having some heart palpitations and they report feeling very nauseated. Oh, that's not fun. So Snake Eyes follows up on the syncope like, okay, hold on. So like, was this witnessed? How long were they unconscious for? What did they fall on? And they learn the following. The patient apparently like stood up from their couch. Their eyes kind of rolled back and they fell backwards onto the couch and then shook. The adult son, the patient's adult son, who was in the room with him, immediately went over to check on him and then like moved him so that he was kind of lying supine on the couch. So face up on the couch. Um, And after moving the patient into that position, the patient woke up. So they were probably unconscious for about a minute. All All right. right. More history of present illness is attained. Uh, Some of it via the like, you know, tap on the worksheet and notice the encircled writing. Uh, method. So Joe's son had apparently told the BLS crew in confidence that their father is an alcoholic and a binge drinker, and he has been drinking heavily over this weekend. And just this evening, Joe has had four 24 ounce malt liquors. I, I think I just now understand what you meant by the circled writing. So mm, go ahead. Someone wrote a message. Someone wrote a message on a piece of paper and then circled it and then silently showed it to the oncoming crew. Perfect. Yep. That's exactly that, it. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So, so, okay. So the HPI that, that, that is someone from the BLS ambulance wrote a message on a piece of paper, <laughs> circled it and then held it up like a banner behind the patient's head for, for us to get the real message. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. All right, so uh, we'll move on to the past medical history. The patient's a type 2 diabetic. They uh, uh, they have a history of atrial fibrillation, hypertension. Uh, they have a history of GERD. They are obese, and they have diabetic neuropathy. For medications, 
um, Snake Eyes wrote C plastic bag because there was yes. a plastic bag that was handed with medications. Oh God! And yeah, uh, well, I have a gross story. About finish, finish what you're saying. I have a gross story. I have to tell, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell it now too. Right. And I'm sorry for anyone who doesn't like our and, stories. But. And Scarlett says that the patient's been compliant with their medication. So uh, allergies, allergic to aspirin. Uh, but now, okay. tell me your story because I don't care anymore about this, and I want to hear the gross story. <laughs> This is it's just it just reminded me of I had I had an immediate kind of reaction when he said plastic bag because it just forever. I will remember this call. It was kind of a similar situation. And it was a guy who he had a plastic bag full of all sorts of prescription bottles at his feet sitting in a recliner and he never really got up out of his recliner. He just sat in his recliner and like peed and did whatever he had to do. Um, There was so much pet hair that. the carpet, you weren't sure. I'm like, is this how the carpet's supposed to be? Or is this just <laughs> like, pets? wow, has this been uh, here since the seventies? Like shag yeah. carpet. Nice. So, so his pants are soaked in urine and everything's soaked in urine and this plastic bag that's at his feet. Uh, I opened it up to see what was in there and like everything inside was wet. And I just, re- and I realized it's probably cause it's full of urine as well. And all the medications, the labels, the water, uh, from him pissing all over them, it just basically take, like made the labels all blank. And so we had no idea like what anything was <laughs> oh, saying, God. but it was just this gross. Uh, but th- that's the, the, gr- the grossest part about that is like he had had like the he, inside, Side hand like a bag of like a little like snack like the little bag of like ruffles potato chips and it was just this disgusting bag of peed on for days what i'm assuming was at one point potato <laughs> chips inside this thing and Oof. so you're kind of so we're kind of like pulling out medication bottles and of course it's like it's not contained you know so it's all over so you're like pulling out medication bottles that smell deeply of urine that are caked in pea and ruffles potato chips anyway soggy potato chip bits yeah like a malto meal i, kind of I wonder how many people right, are listening it. to this while like eating <laughs> <laughs> specifically russell's potato ruffle ruffle potato chips anyway uh so there we go that i had to tell that i'm yeah, sorry let's keep this going. episode brought to you by ruffles <laughs> <laughs> if that story doesn't it's ruffle your if that story doesn't ruffle your feathers, I don't know what will. All right. <laughs> Get a bag of ruffles today. <laughs> Mixed with pee for easy digestion. All right. So uh, vitals, by the way, uh, when Scarlet and Ripcord got there, the heart rate was documented at 130 beats per minute and irregular. Uh, again, the patient does have that history of atrial fibrillation. Uh and mm. Scarlett said their SpO2 reading gave a uh, heart rate that fluctuated between like 100 and 130. So, okay, yep. gotcha. That was actually a question. Um, yeah. SpO2 right. was 93 percent via their uh, via their portable finger probe, and a blood pressure they have is 108 over 90, <clears throat> 108 over 90, and the breathing rate was mm. documented as 12. Um. Okay. Scarlett okay. says with the syncope, nausea, and the high heart rate, it felt <clears throat> like ALS was warranted. So, Chris, here's the thing. We haven't seen anything but the back of the patient's head and like a hand holding an emesis bag. But based on the information so far, what what are your thoughts? Like, what would be your top concerns with this patient? 
Uh, so right off the bat, I mean, so the patient, the patient is, is tachycardic. Um, and there, there's a lot of like different reasons that that could be, especially if someone's been binge drinking and they've been, sounds like they've been vomiting. Uh, the, so the tachycardia that, that could be due to dehydration. It would also explain like why the patient, uh, stands up and then falls over, uh, that kind of stuff going on. 93% is the patient on oxygen. They are not on oxygen. Okay. So 93%, I mean, that's not like crushingly low, but, um, alcohol is a respiratory depressant. If it is present today, I mean, it, there's no reason to not put oxygen, uh, on this guy. Uh, the blood pressure is my biggest concern mm. right now. And in here, yeah, here, here's why uh, the blood pressure stands out to me because I mean, the systolic is 108, which isn't, whoa. Uh, but the problem is the diastolic is 90. Yeah. That's the problem that bothers me. And so that usually means you have a pretty decent level of vasoconstriction going on. Uh, that's what a high diastolic number means. And so since we have a low systolic with a high diastolic, that is usually indicative of some kind of hypovolemia because you don't have enough volume to push a high systolic, but your body, because you don't have that volume, has clamped down on your vasculature so hard that your diastolic is right behind your systolic. Uh, and that's not a, that's not a good sign. So, um, my top concern in, in this patient is uh, some kind of uh, hypovolemia uh, that could be going on because he's kind of painting that picture. And that would explain all the guy's symptoms uh, from the syncope, the tachycardia, those kind of things. Okay. So, so anyway, so I, I think I think we need to prioritize vascular access on this okay. guy. Gotcha. All right. So here we go. Uh, let's shift our attention over to the patient. Joe is a 54 year old mm -hmm. man. Oh, really quick. One other thing I will add is uh, what I would then do is focus my next questioning and assessments on figuring out um, what kind of hypovolemia this could be. Are we hypovolemic because we're potentially uh, septic and sick? Uh, is there some kind of a cold bleeding we don't know about? Uh, start asking questions about uh, like uh, good questions. Like here, start asking like GI bleed questions, uh, bowel movements, that kind of stuff uh, as of late. You know, when they vomited, what exactly did they vomit? Mm -hmm. Those kind of mm -hmm. things. Um, move into, I'd also start asking about like, okay, like I know they've been drinking. Have they had a fever at all, uh, you know, recently? Um and just kind of based off my past experience with uh, that, I just told you guys about the soggy bag and a guy sitting in a chair urinating all over himself. <laughs> um, frequency of urination for possible UTI is also something yeah. to consider. So, yeah, start really looking down for like, like what are those things that can cause people to be hypo hypovolemic in a hurry? And um, that that those are the two routes I'd really start going down okay. at this point. I, I think at some point in 12, we may be warranted as well. But yeah. anyway, no, OK. Oh, you know what? I was going to say, like, no, Chris, pencils down. You, you know, you, you can't slide in your answer. But it was actually. It was a really good answer, so I'll accept it. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, here we are shifting our attention over to the patient. Uh, pencils down. Joe is a 54-year-old male, <laughs> estimated to be about 6 feet tall or 1.8 meters, and the patient's about 290 pounds or roughly 130 kilograms. Uh, yeah. It doesn't exactly add up. There's someone who's going to be like, that is not exact, and I know that. And I don't care. Is Fight me. <laughs> Seems because it did sound like you're making it up right then and there because you did kind of lag. And I was about to make fun of you because I'm like, dude, you're not making it up. You wrote it down. You're just trying to sound smart right now. Um, but now now I'm actually pretty no, convinced. I, I, so I'm I, actually going to do the math. I already heard the people going like, mm, hey, man, you fucked up the math. Oh, no, no. Yeah, you were actually way off. 130 kilograms comes up to 286 pounds, not 290 pounds. Yeah, but. I wanted the 130. <laughs> I like yeah. 130. <laughs> anyway. 
Yeah. So yeah. So sorry, you're you're, you're four pounds off. This there, is EMS. Round numbers are okay. Yeah. All right. So Snake says that the patient's overall appearance is that of a person who really doesn't take great care of themselves at baseline. Um, introductions are made, and here is the overall assessment. So level of consciousness: the patient is a GCS fourteen. That's three for eyes five for verbal and six for motor. Okay. So the patient has their eyes closed, but opens with yep. verbal. Okay. I don't know. Everything yeah, is normal. They're right. oriented, but snake notes that the patient like, does appear to be intoxicated to some degree based on the, like the responses. Uh, the patient does slur a word or two. And like the other thing that they do is they're very kind of emotional in their response. It's like, I'm so sorry. You guys are great, etc. That kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Sounds like drunk guy things to say, yeah, but right. anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the airway is patent. Uh, breathing. Snake notices that the patient is breathing a bit faster than 12 a minute. They find them breathing at a rate more like 22 a minute. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. They do not palpate a pulse here. The patient was alert and talking to them. So the circulation was sort of presumed. Anyway, uh, Snake asks the patient, what happened? And the patient says, I'm a drunk. <laughs> Snake responds. <laughs> All right. Snake responds with like, it sounds like you passed out onto the couch after standing up. And the patient says, I guess so. Um, Snake and the patient do have a brief back and forth where they ask the patient if they're having any pain, if they feel lightheaded, if they feel nauseated. Um, and the patient mm. basically like relays that. <laughs> No, they're not having any pain, but they they can feel their heart beating a little bit and they feel nauseous and they repeat the remorseful like, but I'm just a drunk, <laughs> you know, Duke Tatum, who entered the ambulance uh, through the rear doors at some point during this like exchange, asked the patient like, well, do you want to go to the hospital? Uh, because mm. CC. <laughs> The Cobra commander, the firefighter uh, outside, had allegedly made a comment to Duke when, like, both of them were outside, which I'll just kind of encapsulate here, uh, which was like, yeah, no shit, he passed out. He drank four 24-ounce malt liquors. Woo, like, get it done. In the evening, yeah. So, Dying. yeah. Um, and the patient says, uh, yeah, my son says he wants me to go and reiterates the remorse about drinking again. That's going to be a constant theme, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So the patient is taking out. Excuse me. The patient is taken out of the BLS ambulance by their stretcher. And then they essentially just have him stand and pivot onto Duke and Snake's stretcher. Um, the yeah. patient reports that their nausea is much worse when they stand uh, after they lie down on Duke's stretcher uh, and they appear far more uncomfortable. Um Anyway, the patients then moved into the ALS ambulance and placed on their monitor. Heart rate is 125 AFib. And while Snake doesn't remember the variability specifically, because I did ask, uh, they don't recall it being below 110. Um, okay. Blood pressure comes back at 106 over 92 via manual. And the SpO2 has improved to 94% on room air. Um, the right. patient again denies any pain, but Snake sees the patients kind of like rub their, we'll call it upper abdomen, and inquires about it. And the patient just mentions that their stomach is uncomfortable, but attributes that to their nausea, which again was worse after having stood up. Uh, the patient is mildly moist 
well, their face area is anyway, the facial okay. region. So th- this is like diaphoresis, not like moist clothes. Sorry, I'm just stuck. Yeah, I, I just yeah, had that like stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a bag of pee and uh, <laughs> <laughs> bag of pee with medications and Ruffles potato chips inside. <laughs> yeah. And they just ended up on his face somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's yeah. yeah. We'll call it uh, we'll call it a, a, a light sheen of diaphoresis. Not like, oh, God. OK. You know, like. <laughs> Gotcha. Turn off the faucet. Not like he's having a stemmy diaphoresis, but all right, cool. Um, And then they do start their transport code one at this time. Because of the syncope, Snake Eyes does do a 12 lead EKG, which they report showed AFib at a rate of 132. And what they call the left bundle branch block pattern, they didn't have the EKG for me. So, uh, yeah. But... To, to be clear earlier, my EKG statement earlier, um, I, I would do one, yeah. but it would be after I chased down the why, why I think this paid to me, it, it's secondary to the, to this blood pressure that isn't getting better. And, and my concerns for his hypovolemia, I'd be focusing on that, uh, yeah. on that first. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that this is a bad move. I mean, I don't think getting one is a bad move at all. And if you have time for it, you absolutely should get one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah. 12 lead is a good idea, especially with like a, a diabetic patient with neuropathy um, that that yeah. that bumps it up a little bit. But I, I don't disagree with anything you said earlier. So mm-hmm. here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as they start transporting, Snake Eyes does start an IV. Uh, they have a little bit of trouble locating an IV site um, because the patient's skin is super tough. Chris, you know what I'm talking about. Like you, you, Oh yeah. Have you, I've had needles bend on patient's skin. Oh wow. I don't know if I've ever had it. I don't know if I've ever had a needle bend on patient's it was skin. A, it was a smaller needle. Cause we, you know, I was like, Oh, there, there's something in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I kind of went in and it just, it just bent. Didn't want to go. Like, is that the same one that you've been reusing over and over again? Is that the reason why? I, Hold on, you're not supposed to do that. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I know. Yeah, I know. It seems like because you keep you get to pull it out of the sheath and keep it right. Why not keep it? You know, still. But no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta ditch him. Oh, oh, gotcha. I, I was like, no, I have my one. Like, you know, like this is my golden laryngoscope. I don't have one of oh, those. Yeah. But like, yeah, this you is the, your, this is your lucky. Yeah, this is my lucky IV catheter. <laughs> He keeps using the EKG electrodes over and over again, too. It's those lucky electrodes. He's got 10 of them in his pocket. Yeah, you put a little Gorilla Glue on them and they stick. No problem. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, take Boom. that diaphoresis. Lots of, lots, of, lots of patients' old skin stuck on it after you peel it off. Some Ruffles potato chips, too. Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. All right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the patient's skin is not only tough, but it's also noted to be cold, which uh, Snake Eyes did point out. And the patient goes like, yeah, this is normal. I have really bad circulation. So, yeah. OK, okay. so Snake Eyes says it took several attempts, but they were finally, finally able to get a 22 gauge IV in the back of the patient's left hand. And they administered four milligrams of Zofran to help the patient with their nausea. And uh, they also initiated a 500 milliliter bag of lactated ringers, figuring like, hey, some fluid would probably help the patient feel less ill. Um, They kind of presumed at this point, uh, and I think their care kind of shows this like dehydration alcohol is to blame here is the the, kind of the the route they're running down. Um, And after that, they just sort of let the guy rest uh, because otherwise he continues to just sort of be like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So 
About five minutes out from the hospital, the patient tells Snake Eyes that they do feel a little bit better after the Zofran, and about 300 mils of that fluid has gone in. Their vitals appear slightly better to Snake as well, excuse me, to Snake Eyes as well. Uh, the patient's heart rate is now between 100 and 120, and their blood pressure is 110 by palp. SPO2. Ah, I don't like that they palped it. SPO2 is 94%. Snake Eyes calls report in and gives them the quick synopsis of the story. A male who drank four times 24 ounce malt liquors uh, had a possible single episode this evening. Uh, patients denying any pain reports some residual nausea, which has improved with fluid and Zofran. Over the radio, mm -hmm. they are directed to go to triage on arrival. So this is just going to be bad. I just know it is. It's on this show. I mean, there's no there's no fucking way this episode ends with them like, yeah, they went to triage. Totally appropriate. And that's it. <laughs> like, I, I, mm, I, I, there's no way I mean, it ends that way. Even if it did, I would still have words. I will just throw that I would out still there. have yeah. words, too. I would still have words, too. But I'm just saying, like, it, it's not going to end that way. Because no. who, who would send that in? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That would not get sent in. So, all right. But anyway. Okay. Keep yeah. yeah. So, by the way, uh, for the people who aren't in the, like, being sent to triage is essentially like, hey, take them out to the waiting room. Um, and, oh, yeah. you, and that it's happens. It's the same spot that any. Okay, yeah, that happens actually quite a bit. Uh, in EMS because yeah. there are people who just they're not having an acute they don't have an acute issue or they yeah. don't have an emergent issue you know it, like yeah they need treatment they're having pain some something you know is wrong but they don't need treatment now but the guy who's having a heart attack in the waiting room probably does you know so there right. is even if you come by ambulance there is a decent chance that if it is not a what you know, yeah. is a true health emergency uh, you you could start out in the waiting room. Um, yeah, yeah, and so that's if, so. If you're not in EMS, the, I guess the bottom line is this: uh, just because you go in by ambulance does not mean you get to skip the line. That's not how that works. Um, there are people who have been sorely disappointed that I took them out to triage, but I took the ambulance. Like, that's so, sorry, that's not how it works. Yeah, and also it's not a golden ticket. Yeah, and also this isn't really up to me. Um, you know, like, yeah, that's the other thing, too. I, I have no control over this. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah, after they arrive to the hospital, that's what they do. The patient is taken into triage and deposited in a wheelchair. Uh, Snake Ives gives report to the triage nurse, who's described as the opposite of excited to have this patient okay. in the ED waiting room and the crew clear and then immediately get tapped to another emergency. And so, Chris, I can already hear you going like, no, come on. There's more. Yeah. Is, yeah. Because right? I just literally said that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Nostradamus. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. That's a Michelle, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I forgot we did that. Enough. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> but of course there is. Chris, now as the crew returned with what sounds like it was a little old lady who dared to challenge the gods of gravity, uh, the charge nurse to the ED approaches Snake Eyes and in his words, unloads upon him. Apparently, hey. not long after they had left, uh, Joe vomited up. <laughs> Joe vomited up a hefty amount of coffee ground emesis mixed Woo! with, uh, I'm sure, like Mad Dog. <laughs> or oh yeah, and Ruffles potato <laughs> chips. Ruffles potato chips. Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then Chris syncopized. 
and then fell yeah. onto the floor from the wheelchair. Sure did. Oh, man. Um, this ends with the patient was ultimately diagnosed with a upper GI bleed and was taken to the operating room. Uh, it sounds like they had a, a kind of a complicated but successful stay uh, and lived to be discharged. Oh, my goodness. Did they say exactly what was bleeding? Uh, I No, I just he knew yeah. it was an upper GI bleed. And that was uh, that was upper it. I, yeah. Yeah. So I think just it, so one of the things you, you guys uh, may hear a lot of times is that um, coffee ground emesis. Uh, so I guess the difference between an upper GI bleed and a lower GI bleed, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Spence, I never am. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's basically uh, when you're when you're talking about upper GI, you're pretty much the stomach north. So stomach and esophagus. If something is bleeding in there, that's going to be an upper gastrointestinal uh, bleed. Uh, anything that is in the uh, intestinal tract and, you know, right on out the butt uh that is it that that's the lower half and so when you have coffee ground emesis the coffee ground look uh usually comes from uh blood sitting in the stomach and it's just when the blood touches the stomach acid it's just what it ends up looking like yeah. is that coffee ground emesis um so because it no longer binds to, to oxygen and no longer oxidizes and turns black yeah cover grounds so uh yeah so that that's uh anyway so yeah that's interesting but if you have more of a bright red coming out mm. that's usually more indicative of something that's esophageal uh such as esophageal varices um because it won't spend long in the stomach before it gets back up uh so there's that esophageal varices by the way is terrible uh yeah. it's you basically have you have distended Sorry, oh, yeah. And sort of a different mechanism from like the GI bleed, too, because that one's yeah, that it, one's more related really to like, hey, your your liver circulation is bad and therefore blood is backing up. But yeah. So what's what's going on there and why that that is kind of relevant to this dude, though, is that he is an alcoholic uh, and it's liver disease. Like Spencer said, you're the, the veins um, that feed the liver when they back up, when they start going back to the system, when they get backed up because your liver sucks, uh, they also pass through, pass around the esophagus. And so they become distended. Like they, there isn't, they're varicose veins. Like you see in people's legs, yeah. but they're in your esophagus. Yeah. And then they, and then when they rupture, they're just, they're so damn hard to stop bleeding because like it's in the esophagus. Yeah. And even though they're veins, they just they bleed and bleed and bleed and and people can yeah, die. Quickly. The medical directors keep insisting that I cannot tourniquet people's necks, and uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, stop yeah. it. <laughs> no god. Um. Uh, well, anyway, take us so to the that, summary. That's my tangent. Yeah, take us to the okay. summary. All right. So yeah. So to summarize, uh, Chris was right. The end. Uh, we'll see you guys later. That's it. All done. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. We got a according to my lap. shitty whiteboard. <laughs> I keep I keep doing this like as we write, I keep gripping my I got to get a different whiteboard. I keep gripping my whiteboard up high as I get lower and lower and my thumb just drags over everything that I wrote on the top half. <laughs> so I'm always patching it back together. All right. 54 year old male uh, who drank uh, like four malt liquors uh, syncopizes after trying to stand up. So son calls 911. Uh, the BLS ambulance from the fire department gets there and says, ah, with the syncopal episode, uh, this guy's kind of tachycardic. Uh, he's nauseous. Uh, let's uh, let's just get an ALS intercept, which I agree. I think that's a good call. Uh, ALS crew arrives and they find an alert, uh, but admittedly intoxicated patient at the chief complaint of nausea. And uh, yeah, and then of course the sending crew also reports the high heart rate and the kind of borderline blood pressure, which I, I don't 
remember if anyone really like the blood pressure is kind of given people are like all right moving on yeah um, but yeah, yeah. It, it didn't really seem to i mean to me that was the part that stuck out anyway moving on uh, so the crew they take the patient they do a 12 lead they give some zofran which i think was a fine call yeah. uh they give some fluid which is also a fine call uh and then uh they deposit the patient uh in trash <laughs> so uh after they leave uh joe declares their gi emergency by vomiting up coffee ground emesis and then passing out uh falling out of the wheelchair and hitting the floor in spite of that they ultimately live and upon snake eyes return is a chewed out by uh by a nurse that is there which uh, by the way you guys got the same report and you still stuck him in triage so mm. not sure what your deal is but anyway uh don't, don't yell at me but anyway i mean don't get me wrong i'm not saying our crew the crew here did great either uh, there, there's there's misses there's a show you don't get to yeah there's a shared yeah, responsibility you, you don't have to go chew out the paramedic for getting the exact same information and then doing the same thing that doesn't you, you get off your high and mighty horse you just saw it happen. Other than that, you were totally on board. You got the same report, the same history over the radio, and you said, put him in a wheelchair. And they said, gotcha. Oh, and then only when I have no idea became, who took the report. I, that that part I don't know. There is a there's a doesn't matter. There. They gave one. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They gave one. If it was the charge nurse, then that charge nurse really shouldn't have done it. If it wasn't the charge nurse, I would like to think the charge nurse would be shit. Who took this report and said triage? Yeah. Which maybe they did. For all I know, they're just going, you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it back. For all I know, this charge is just going right down the line, starting with their own staff. In that case, fair. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Go, go, go right on down. If they're like, yeah, you took that report and you just said chill. Oh my God. But the medics seem chill. Yeah, no, I'll talk to them too, but uh, get your shit together. And then, yeah, I could, I could see that being the case. Maybe that was the case. I'll, I'll chill out. Um, but if you didn't chew out your own people, then is there hold on I, I'm, I'm on this i'm on this train with you now uh is there because yeah. now i'm just like oh there's i mean what about the you know the way you say you present information has an immense <laughs> effect on how it's received right so if you're oh, like yeah, yeah hey, we got important. a drunk guy and uh yeah you might have might have passed out I, i'm not saying that was I, I, I but like that kind of paints the picture to the ER. It does. At, but again, yeah. I mean, if, if, if the ER can use that, that as an excuse, then so can our crew, because that's exactly what they got from the BLS team. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that because I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. They had, okay. there was information there that was available that could have changed the entire course of the call. That was just untouched oh, yeah. and unexamined. And you know, like yeah. if, if you're, I don't know. I mean, I would like to assume that the people bringing in patients, if you work in an ER, if you're, you know, like an ER nurse, you, you kind of hope that the people bringing in patients to you who are healthcare providers are examining stuff and like are going to yeah. point those things out and say, hey, uh, and not just be like, yeah, drunk. Here you go. But uh, yeah, my, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just me hoping yeah. the best out of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Um yeah, so let's, I mean, let's kind of talk. I mean, I think I've got, I've got a lot of little things in terms of evaluating how the call was done. We will save that specific part for the very, very end. Okay. Um, but I think we, I mean, I think that's what we kind of focus yeah. on right now I, is we really got to focus. I mean, there, there are some other, there's some clinical stuff I do want to touch on and, and we're going to get there. But I think the big lesson here is that uh, we all had information in front of us and the, the BLS crew 
looked kind of, they didn't actually the BLS crew probably did the best out of anybody by upping it by upping it to ALS but they still kind of gave the eh this patient's drunk kind of thing and to be honest like it almost seemed like uh oh was it a uh, scarlet was the PIC in the back of the BLS ambulance yeah. and the other person was CC right no, so there's scarlet and ripcord and then a firefighter yes. from their station was outside cobra commander was outside ready to kind of like oh, no it's nothing guys <laughs> yeah yeah and so it seemed like cobra so it seemed like i mean i would actually say that yeah our 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 two BLS responders inside the ambulance had the right idea by upping this, but then you had Cobra commander being like, bah on the outside. Uh, now I get why they're the bad guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, that, yeah, and, there's that. And just to be clear, they're the bad guy just for this call. Like, uh, you know, yeah. and everyone can wear that. I, I've been the Cobra commander too. <laughs> I was going to say, just to be honest, yeah. you can be clear. I will be honest. Uh, I, I, I've, I've been Cobra commander. So totally. yeah, I've, I've been this guy and I have been wrong. And that is why we do this show totally. because we realize that sometimes we can suck and we don't want you to suck. Yeah. So, all right. Go. Well, um, but yeah, let's, let's kind of talk well, about this. Let, let's, let's talk about, sorry, I, I got off track. Uh, so, which is crazy. I know, but what I'm saying is that we had kind of a chain of events where people saw what they wanted to see, not what was in front of yeah. them. Yeah. And by the way, this is a very human thinking thing. And that's why I want to talk about this. I've, I've mentioned Daniel Kahneman's book, thinking fast and slow <laughs> before. And I think it's going to come up again here, uh, because I'm going to bring it up again here. Uh, in this book, Daniel divides our thinking into two categories, system one and system two. Now, system yeah. one, this is your like intuitive brain. Someone says pizza and your brain, whether you like it or not, automatically comes up with ideas or images of pizza and associated things such as deliciousness, delivery, mm -hmm. DiGiorno, cheese, pepperoni, tomato sauce, black olives, raisins. Oh, and God. now, now you're probably using <laughs> system two, the analytic and also effortful conscious thinking system. And this is hopefully because system one encountered something that doesn't make sense. And it breaks the cohesive narrative that system one is otherwise giving you. And now it needs a little support <laughs> because what the fuck raisins on pizza. Uh, but let's look at it another way. If I had said the following. I want a delivered dish with cooked dough, tomato sauce, lots mm -hmm. of cheese all over it, olives, ooh, maybe some peppers, and oh, sausage. Uh, Chris, what would you say I would I would be wanting? Uh, pizza? Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Your mind's yeah. probably all it went sounds like right to pizza. It sounds yeah. like he wants pizza. But actually, I was yep. thinking of a ravioli dish in this instance. Oh, uh, look at and you. There's the catch to our human thinking. System one likely because I can't say I mean, it did for Chris, but, you know, to you listening, likely automatically offered you what it. Yes. And I'm going to personify this system for a moment. Uh, it gave you what it thought would be the most correct answer, given the previous discussion and system two, your analytic brain just kind of went like it stamped its approval and went like, yeah, probably pizza. That makes sense. Sure. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of saying like, hey, hold on, guys. Uh, let's spend a bunch of energy and see if there are other details that we should know before we decide because system one gave it a cohesive answer with all the details. Excuse me, because system one gave it a cohesive dancer. Uh, Jesus, a cohesive dancer. Yeah, did. <laughs> yeah. Make me earn my editing chops here. Thanks, buddy. Dude. 
System one gave your brain a cohesive answer with the details that were provided. And system two went like, yep, good. And Daniel Kahneman like sums it up with this quote. Uh, The measure of success for system one is the coherence of a story it manages to create. The amount and quality of the data on which the story is based are largely irrelevant. When information is scarce, which is a common occurrence, system one operates as a machine for jumping to conclusions. And that is the problem. Our brains will examine the evidence that we have on hand and use those details and fill in the rest based on previous knowledge or assumptions or other heuristics uh, to make a cohesive story, whether that story is true or not. And if it's the, and the more cohesive it sounds, the more like you're like, yeah, that, uh, then your brain is just more likely to be like, yep, gotcha. that's good without thinking about so it. So when he says the success of system one, he's not meaning it's accuracy. No. He's meaning it's ability to provide an answer that you'll go exactly. with. Exactly. Yep. Gotcha. And so <clears throat> snake admits that like, given the information that they had on hand, the patient was likely drunk and all the details they had on hand supported that coherent story aside, Chris, from the blood pressure. You know, they've said like, yeah, I've seen pl- and, and I can tell you, like, I've seen plenty of people like uh, fail in their attempt to stand up after an evening of heavy yeah. drinking. Um, yeah, I've seen me do it. <laughs> one of my good friends at one point just stood up and then immediately fell over onto a table. Uh, and, Bam. Yeah, we were not, not me. By that, no, that wasn't no, me. that was not Chris. <laughs> that no. was my friend Driss. <laughs> yeah, it actually wasn't me. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> sure, it wasn't, no. buddy. Sure, it wasn't. Uh, Unless I hit my head substantially hard. Yeah. We know you can do that too, uh, yeah. and that I will just yeah. that I'll just take you to a bar. Right, that's exactly what just happened. More snowboarding, by the way. <laughs> Yep. Um, they did ask about pain, which the patient denied. And by the way, put a pin in that. Um, and they didn't look or really look hard for alternative explanations or possibilities. And Daniel Kahneman explains this further in his book with the following acronym. W-Y-S-I-W-T-I. Rolls that stands for. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what you see is what there is. And that is our tendency to focus on the evidence we see in front of us and ignore evidence that isn't present. Uh, here's a here's an example. If you restock a rig mm-hmm. uh, and you don't use an inventory sheet, you just kind of do it off of memory. Chances are that if there is an item that is low, you will see it and you'll recognize like, oh, there's supposed to be six of these and there's two. Yeah. I need to order four. But if there are none of the things and they're not an often used item, then that will just that you're like, yep, that yeah. empty space belongs there. That right. you will not see it because it's not there. And there is only what we see. Yeah. <laughs> what unless we see is the what empty, there is. Yeah. I mean, unless the empty space is obvious. Like I, I love it in a, I love uh cutout foam because oh, like yeah. it just it, like, like a hole in the shape of an IO gun is usually a good indicator that you should probably try and find that, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. but versus like, but, but no, but you make a great point. Think of like ambulance cabinets and how much, you know, how much space we leave in those things all the time with just shit rattling around, uh, yeah. you know, or, 
Uh, the the thing that immediately came to my mind is how most people store syringes. Like you stab, you have a stack of syringes, uh, just kind of usually in the back, uh, kind of all in front of one one another. If all yeah. the ten cc syringes are gone and you're just kind of looking and seeing if everything's there, it's like okay, well the space seems full back there, and uh, I got assorted sizes. Uh, it looks like everything's there, and you go because. Well, it didn't really look there's there is no visual evidence or clue that anything was missing. Yep. So Dude, totally. And so we worsen this problem by readily accepting the evidence we do have and putting that into a coherent narrative that our brains have already generated. So, for example, uh, you say plastic bag of medications. I immediately <laughs> think pee filled bag full of Ruffles potato <laughs> chips and medications. <laughs> Yes, exactly. There You're you like, go. Hold on, guys. Have we checked this bag of pills for pee? <laughs> what about ruffles? So, Only Fritos? All right. All right. So, Chris, how how do you think we should overcome this problem in EMS? Let's let's start this discussion. Well, I'll get off my yeah. high horse on the, a book that everyone should read. It's fucking yeah. amazing. So the only thing that Daniel Kahneman's uh, thing is kind of missing a little bit is, uh, you know, we're saying that we ignore evidence that isn't present. Sometimes we ignore evidence that is present that doesn't fit what the what system one's narrative is or what system one's idea is. And that that yeah. is something we call uh, outcome. Bi- is that outcome bias? Is that what that is? Uh, confirmation bias. Or confirmation and bias. To yes. be fair, he does bring that up, but I figured I was on a soliloquy long enough. And so no, I no, left no. that I mean, part out. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, but it's important because because um, yeah. he is right. And, and what he said is right. But we also have to acknowledge then that there is uh, confirmation bias. And that is just basically where even evidence that is there that gets will get ignored in this case, like that, that blood pressure to me, like that blood pressure to me, like stuck out like a sore thumb. Now, given mm. I admit um, my system one here's Spencer bringing a call and I know it's going to be fucked up. Because that's what we do. I immediately think of the last time he brought a call and what happened then. So that was my system one working. So I think the best way to honestly like overcome this problem uh, for me, um, first of all, uh, be new again. And what I mean by that is uh, I, I talk about this all the time, but those NREMT sheets, they're really, really good at casting a wide net. And a lot of times we just need to go down those NREMT sheets in our head and it kind of puts us in that mindset of checking off everything uh, for a patient. Now, I, I do cast some shade at NREMT because a lot of their assessment is designed to because uh, <clears throat> a lot of their assessment approach is designed to find one problem and fix it, which are yeah. that's not our patients. Um, but in terms of finding that one problem, it is good. It's a really good assessment and it helps us kind of it helps us cast that that wide net. You and I have talked about this uh, a lot. And yeah. what that kind of comes down to is I think it is perfectly acceptable to have a okay, I think I know what this is idea in your mind. What's not acceptable though is to accept that without really looking in um, to what you have. And one of the things that, that I want to point out is be specifically wary of the, well, it could be that this patient just drank too much this evening uh, and I'm going to go with that because uh, alcohol intoxication, uh, it can, so you got to, you got to think about it. whatever you think it is, it needs to provide you with a direction or a treatment modality. Okay. Alcohol intoxication can provide you with that, but more often than not, I don't see responders using alcohol intoxication to provide them with a treatment path. I usually see them using alcohol intoxication to avoid a treatment path. And you don't want to do that. You should yeah. be approaching it like this. It could be that this patient just drank too much this evening, but it could also be 
B, C, D, E, or F. And I should start asking and looking for signs and symptoms that might support a different concern. And then it's just putting pieces of evidence into different bins and look for which bins the fullest. Um, yeah. And, no, and, that's, and I, yeah. Or sometimes, actually, I'm going to take that back. Not even necessarily which bin's the fullest. That does need to play some level in there. But you also need to look at which one's the most dangerous. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times you're going to have things that are dangerous, but maybe not necessarily the best answer. Maybe there is a less dangerous answer that fits. But if we went with the more dangerous answer, which it could still be, then, okay, we're going to get into the hospital a little bit faster than, than we normally would. As long as you don't have treatments that may exacerbate the other problem, because then you do have a true conundrum there. Um, it, it's often a lot of times it's not necessarily which is the most full evidence basket, but which one is the most dangerous one uh, that could get to this patient uh, that you can treat without exacerbating other possibilities. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's great. That, that's yeah. a really good point because, and here's the thing is like, yes, mm -hmm. syncope has so many potential causes and, you know, like half of them are benign, you know, benign-ish, mm -hmm. you know, they're, 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 they're in the waiting room <laughs> instead yeah. of in the room one. Very but true. There are others like just, it's like, yeah, just because some of them are you know, mild doesn't mean like all of them are right. Uh, STEMI. There's Brugada syndrome. Uh, Brugada is a, uh, oh, it's a, it's like a sodium channel myopathy that causes patients to go into sudden cardiac arrest, pass out. And then, Shit. uh, many of them convert once they hit the ground out of VTAC. Uh, but there's a specific, there are patterns that can be recognized. Um, gotcha. and they need, they need to be transported and evaluated and, uh, probably yeah. have something put in so that, Next that time they happen. go and do. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, still looking for Brigada Syndrome EKG. If any of you fine people have run this call. Wanted. Uh, call, yeah, I want this. I, I have cookies and I will <laughs> give you cookies. Uh, right. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. fucking hanging you on that then, man. <laughs> I, I will send you cookies. Uh, All right. There you go. Uh, Aortic dissections, for instance, uh, hemorrhage, dehydration, drug-induced orthostatic hypotension. Like, there are just so many causes. Or GI bleed. Yeah, or GI bleed. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, sometimes we don't get to dive too in-depth because, you know, we're trying to resuscitate a patient. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's keep doing CPR or... <laughs> Like, yeah, uh, or like the transport time doesn't allow for like a super in-depth history. Um, but in this case, they could have used the time they had to like definitely ask the patient like, hey, have you been sick lately? <laughs> Eating yeah. well, drinking water like, hey, have you had any changes in medications? You taken the time to look at the medications that were in the plastic bag. And yeah. by the way, the steak, I said they they actually what they did was they moved the patient, you know, like, oh, hey, mm -hmm. here's your medications. Uh, and then they covered the patient with a blanket and just totally forgot until they got to the ER and then went like, well, they have the medications here. They have the bag, um, which to, to me, again, is just a urine bag full of these things. Uh, <laughs> a big thing about AFib patients, AFib patients very commonly have blood thinners prescribed. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because there's a problem because atrial fibrillation, uh, if you guys aren't familiar. Yeah. Uh, AFib, the top half of the heart, uh, which is the atria, they just fibrillate. And a lot of patients just kind of live with that. And so what it gives you, it gives you a very irregular heart rhythm, but in and of itself, it's usually not that lethal. But usually these patients are usually on some kind of blocker, usually calcium channel blocker that will help slow conduction through the AAV node so their heart rate doesn't run away on them. Uh, and they're usually on a blood thinner because those wiggly little uh, atria uh, can sometimes allow blood to stagnate and clot uh, in the heart itself. So they're usually on a blood thinner. So yeah. when you're talking about... <laughs> 
patients like this who have syncope and also a history of alcoholism. Uh, yeah. Mm, and and now yeah. they have, and now they have blood thinners, you know, huge candidate there for, uh, yeah. for GI bleed. So in this case, I think the things they should have asked about specifically to this patient would mm-hmm. have been the things that you brought up, Chris, which was like, Hey, have you had any hematoemesis? Uh, by the way, if you're going to be taking a guardian CME course, you should memorize these, uh, or at least recall these uh, vocab words. <laughs> hematoemesis is coffee ground emesis, that digested blood in your vomit. Uh, by the way, per Medscape, 50% of patients with an upper GI bleed will have have this sign this is a that's a big that's huge uh, that's a a big big, amount yeah Uh, melana which is black tarry stools again another sign of like blood that has gone through the digestive tract uh that is a sensitive finding with 70 to 80 percent of upper gi bleeds having this wow Uh, Ooh, i'm gonna not choke on this word hematochesia hematochesia uh, and that is fresh or flank, fresh or frank blood in the stool. And this is more common with lower GI bleeds, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, but it is also possible to have this with, uh, they'd be larger upper GI bleeds where it's like, yeah, there's so much blood. It doesn't have time to get digested. It's just shooting through the track. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah. Uh, other things they could have asked about that, like, hey, ha- have you been feeling lightheaded you know, uh, like you're about to pass out and 43% of patients who have upper GI bleeds, uh, also report that finding, mm. um, which, you know, makes sense. Cause your yeah. body is trying, it's like, well, what I have, <laughs> what I see is what I have and I don't yeah. have a lot of blood and I'm just going to make do with what I've got. So, yeah. <clears throat> right. uh, dyspepsia, uh, especially at night and that is indigestion because mm. we needed a better word than indigestion. Right. We need a dyspepsia. Uh, yeah. There you go. So those are all things that they they should have kind of followed through on a- asking about like, hey, have you been having, you know, like, have you been, I mean, even just diet quite, you have the, ah, yeah, so many opportunities. Yeah. So one of the things that I actually kind of want to point out here, um, when it comes to syncopal episodes, I treat syncope just like I treat altered mental status. Um, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up again. Um, because I, I, honestly, I'm proud of my little altered mental status thing because you guys yeah. keep telling me you like it. Um, I, I will always <laughs> say this AEIOU tips is a, another uh, acronym for, uh, for remembering your altered mental status stuff. You should go look that up. That, that, that one is a more complete list. Um, but a lot of the things that can cause syncope are also the same things that can cause altered, altered mental status. So like, let's, let's apply to this patient. So the first thing I always check is, okay, does it have fuel and is it good fuel? And basically what it means is does the brain have blood going to it? Well, you evaluate that by evaluating a blood pressure. So in this case, uh, the patient's not syncopizing now. So we know they're getting blood to the brain at least now, but they did syncopize. And so the first thing when we got that blood pressure, that to me is an indicator that something is askew, that the fuel delivery system is uh, doing its best to get fuel up there because something is failing. Um, So that to me right there, we have problem with fuel delivery. Next up is, is it good fuel? Does it have sugar? Does it have oxygen? Uh, It does seem to have oxygen. Uh, It did they get a blood sugar? They did not get a blood sugar. They should have gotten a blood sugar. Um, yes, they because should you do have a syncopal episode here. So they should have got a blood sugar on this patient. Um, but yes, so they should have gotten a blood sugar uh, and uh, they should have um, 
got a sat, which they did get a sat, which was great. And the sat was uh, mid 90s. Um, throwing a nasal cannula on probably wouldn't hurt. It probably also wouldn't drastically help this guy either. So um, there you go. Well, I mean, There's you know, that. maximize the uh, maximize the oxygen that the you know one red blood cell is right. trying to carry around. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, in, in this case, they were never really going to address that part anyway. So um, but anyway. <laughs> So, so yeah, so the one red blood cell is, is fully saturated. Also, here's another thing I like to consider with oxygenation. If I think there's a chance that I may be intubating somebody, I start oxygenating right away so I can start denitrogenating the lungs. It's not really the saturation I care about. It's the air mix in the lungs so that when I do have to intubate and we're not able to breathe for them while I'm putting the tube in, they still, their saturations will stay higher longer. Uh, so, there is that. So the uh, yeah. So uh, the the fuel part. Next thing is uh, is it broken? And that's where we started. Uh, that's where I look at things like stroke uh, and trauma. And so they had slurred speech. Slurred speech. Uh, it, you know, if you have someone with slurred speech, even if they're drunk, that's actually a really good time to do a stroke scale. Um, it, is it the right away thing in this guy? No, not with that blood pressure they ignored. But. Um, the stroke scale at some point wouldn't be bad either when you have uh, slurred speech on a, on a syncopal episode uh, patient. Uh, next up is going to be, yeah, trauma. They asked about pain, which is great, but I mean, he's he's drunk also. Um, that can help, ma- that can really mask pain. So yeah. uh, a trauma assessment would have been something that should have been good on this patient, especially when we're looking at that blood pressure. Um, we really need to be looking for a sight of blood. Now, given like... Is is there going to be like, you know, like if there was mass bleeding, they probably that probably would have come out in the history. Um, but also, I don't know, maybe you take a look, you look at the guy's shirt and he has some weird bruising on one side. And it's a lot of bruising. And then you find out, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fell. I've been falling a lot because, again, he has issues with alcoholism. Alcoholics tend to fall. Uh, so there is absolutely potential for trauma here. This could totally be one of those guys where you roll him over and it's like, oh, crap like they fell and uh they've got broken ribs and bruising on one side and some sub-q emphysema you know like that kind of stuff and it's like maybe this is why we have you know the tachycardia and the failing blood pressure what was the what was the call where they're like all right drunk guy and then it was like oh you have a you were you were shot and stabbed like oh yeah i remember we we reviewed that one that one was that was great i remember because someone was like gosh the, the 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 ambulance sheet is pink when they moved the person over i remember that I'm just, I'm still terrified by the pink sheet. Like the, oh, the, the, yeah. they had pink sheets in that, that system. Oh, but God. yeah, anyway. so, so there, yeah. so yeah, so there, there's a trauma thing. Um, and so also like, I, I, I would say also put sepsis in there. Um, yeah. Uh, put sepsis in, in the broken part, uh, which um, I mean, again, a head to toe also helps with sepsis. I and mean, we start talking about in, infections and, you know, with skin and lacerations, those kind of things. Uh, and then you move on to, you know, the last one there is, is intoxicated. Well, yes, he is intoxicated. Um, we know that he admits that. Um, but explore other possibilities for intoxication. Sometimes people don't just take alcohol by themselves. Uh, if he's an alcoholic binging, he could have depression issues. Do we have medications that could potentially be harmful to him that are prescription medications? medications as you have a history of other drug use those kind of things i know we have a plastic baggie full of urine and pills that we didn't go through <laughs> but <laughs> i know someone at this point is like wait a second does it have urine or does it not have urine they've said it so many times by now i don't remember if that's just chris or if it did have urine in it um anyway it doesn't have urine in it well i mean i don't know it may have urine in it we didn't it's it's basically it's schrodinger's pee bag at this point <laughs> we didn't look so we don't know if it has urine in it or not or you can't say chips. that it doesn't have urine in it yeah though. that's the no, important yeah. thing yeah we haven't measured it yet so schrodinger's quantum pee bag uh, uh, nice. but anyway God, yeah that, that's a t-shirt schrodinger's pee bag 
No, no I think that. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so yeah, sorry to go off on a tangent there, man, but I think uh, treating syncope in the same manner that you treat altered mental status, but you've got to remember altered mental status is usually caused by some uh, interruption uh, to the brain, something wrong with the brain. Um, and uh, so is syncope. Syncope usually is uh, some reason that blood did not get to the brain. So there you go. I would treat it the same way. Uh, I left out a few. I didn't get too specific in there. I left out a few things uh, as well, such as like, uh, you know, history of seizures, uh, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and then like the very last thing is, is it behavioral in my AMS thing? You know, and so oh, and yeah. I, I always leave behavioral to the last because I mean, there's there's very little that you're going to do. I mean, there's. It's not critical. You know what I mean? Like, like no one's going to behavior themselves into death, uh, you know, without like a means of trying to hurt themselves, in which case you'd go back to the other ones. Uh, yeah. but anyway. All right. Uh, so, yeah. No, Sorry I, to go on a tangent there, but I think it's important. You and your tangents. Jesus. All right. So kind of going to the call itself a little bit, kind of the specifics of the call here as we wrap this episode up. Um, system issues. I always like to start there. I... <laughs> I have, I have a couple uh, operational things that, that I didn't like. I have one operational thing that I didn't like. Ooh, um, hit me with it. Yeah, it's uh, the sleep. I mean, whenever we have night shifts, you know, I mean, we all, we love to pretend that our night shifters are just sleeping very well during the day. Uh, we're not. Uh, I used to yeah. be a night shifter. Just, it, we're not. Um, it's it's very difficult to do. You have to have a life that allows for that. And almost nobody does because the rest of the world is built to run the other 24 hours. It's very, very difficult to have a true night shift life where you sleep an appropriate amount during the daytime and get up at night. Yeah, blackout curtains help. But I mean, unless at, at some point you're going to spend time with family during the daytime or a friend or somebody. And you got to understand that's the equivalent of a normal nighttime person saying, you know what? Uh, tonight, I'm going to stay up the whole night with my friends and then yeah. just go to work in the morning. It, it, it really doesn't work, um, but neither do 24 hour shifts, but that's a different story. Uh, but here's the thing that I did not like when they were driving code three, one person slept uh, being a supervisor. One of the worst things that ever happened to the company uh, that I worked at um, was it actually had two. Neither of them were, were inattentive, but one of them had to focus on an issue with their mapping program and eyes were taken off the road. And I'm just going to say, like, there's no point going into it, but really bad accident happened. And there were good people involved that uh, had a terrible outcome because of it. And yeah. so it, it bothers me when someone's going lights and sirens and the other person sleeping. Um, it also bothers me. I still pick up shifts and I'll have partners where I'll be going lights and sirens somewhere and they will start charting because they're backed up on charts. I don't don't care what system you work in. I don't care that you want to get off on time. Get off late if it means that when you're going code three with your lights and sirens, you have two people looking. You have to have two people out there looking. And so to have one of them sleep kind of chaps my hide a little bit. Don't sleep. Yeah. Uh, keep your eyes open because, you know, we're going to be going through red lights. We're going to be doing things that people don't expect. Um, and you're at night. Half of the people out there are drunk anyway and trying to do the right thing. They probably think you're trying to pull them over. Some may run, uh, which you could laugh, but it's happened. So uh, it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, again, if you are operating an ambulance and it goes lights and sirens, uh, everyone in the ambulance needs to have uh, head up, eyes open, uh, looking for hazards. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Nice. All right. So yeah, uh, the pregame of sleep is uh, probably a poor choice. It's not a good um, yeah, but then they got there and they got the history and uh, and they did an assessment. And I'm going to start with the things that I liked 
Uh, okay. that I, th- I, I liked that they did do the 12 lead and I know, uh, it, it's, it's sort of like partial credit at this point, but you know, like, Hey, we yeah. are worried about, you know, like Brugada syndrome. Uh, we're worried about stemmies. We're worried about arrhythmias. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there, and if you put the, do a 12 lead and then you kind of keep the patient on the monitor, which it sounds like they did not yeah. the 12 lead, but the monitor, then you can, then you're there kind of able to capture those arrhythmias or, you know, whatever, as they pop up. And I thought that was a good thing. I also liked that uh, both crew members, uh, the, the BLS crew and this crew, the ALS mm-hmm. crew did take manual blood pressures. I like you, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's probably the palp palpated mm-hmm. one at the end. Probably not great. Cause we do, we are looking for those narrowing pulse pressures but you also have to be looking for those <laughs> pulse right. pressures. To- yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, still, I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very true. But Chris, you pointed out, uh, was there more that you liked, uh, in terms of assessment? Yeah. I mean, there, so there, there were, there were some things, uh, that, that they, that they did do well. And one of the things that I will say kind of back on your 12 week point is it does show that it, at least in their headspace that, uh, they were turning over some other rocks, I do appreciate that uh, that they did transport. I mean, even though there was kind of the suggestion at one point where someone was mm, like, uh, you yeah. really want to go to the hospital? And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, it's on this show. It's on this show, man. He does. I feel like the guy yelling at the at, at the horror movie, like, never run up the stairs. You know, like that. Like, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, it's like don't yeah. you know you're in a horror movie? And I'll be like, don't you know you're in EMS 2020 right now? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am happy they, they went ahead uh, with the transport. They didn't push for refusal. You and I have both seen some response that can work up a magic refusal out of things they should not get refusal for. Dude, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and here's the thing. They did ultimately start an IV and they did ultimately give this patient fluid, which I mean, unless you're carrying blood in the case of a hypovolemic patient like this guy, fluid's going to be the treatment anyway. The only thing that you may change uh, is because we didn't really do the problem with the position that these guys were in. So if we look at it from the point of what the patient had, uh, the fluid was probably completely appropriate um, because we know what he had. But when you're the, when you're in the situation that these responders were in and you haven't really done a trauma assessment, we really got to be careful about giving lots of fluid uh, to a trauma patient who may be hypovolemic from, you know, occult bleeding inside their, their body. Um, that is, is something you may have to worry about. We've talked that about that in past episodes. If you listen to the minivans and pedestrians, minivans and bicycles, minivans and bicycles or bicycles and minivans. I'm not sure which one. That's, that one's actually up on Guardian CME. If you haven't listened yeah. to it yet, that's a good place to go listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but we talk about the reasons why you really need to be careful about fluid and trauma patients. Um, yeah. But that being and, said, for this and, patient, and this- I think it's appropriate. Yeah. And this is, I mean, in a way, this, this is sort of like a trauma patient, albeit without like the, because they are bleeding. Um, But I think again, like it's telling that they gave fluid and like the patients improved a little bit, you know, like, right. Yeah. Yes. yes, They need blood. And I, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't give them a liter of fluid. I I mean, I don't know, maybe the alcohol with the dehydration like Mm -hmm. changes that. Um, I, I don't know. That would be something I'd, I don't I'd have if, to look up further. Bleeding in, like, does bleeding into this? Because one of the big problems with trauma patients and lots of fluid is that you disrupt clotting factors. And yeah. I don't know how well clotting factors are working if we're bleeding into the GI, in, into the GI space in the first place. And, um, and, and when so the I, patients I also know. on blood thinners as well. And right. so that's, yeah, or potentially, you know, yeah. <laughs> somewhere right, in yeah. that pee bag. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the pee bag. And the, and the ruffles potato chip yeah. tea bag. Uh, the patients um, 
Yeah. That, ooh, that. man. All right. So we, the homework for our listeners to tell us how we're wrong or right here. Because right. yeah. <laughs> we're kind of stumbling into the area where we're not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah. So I think there are... This sort of goes back to like, yeah, they they failed to do a trauma assessment um, and they should have, especially given the fact that, again, like the patient has a history of neuropathy. And so like pain may not be the best indicator for them. You know, and and they're currently intoxicated and they are. Yeah, they are drunk. Mm -hmm. AF. Adios. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So um Let's talk about some of the, I mean, obviously we have the like, yeah, they, they Mm -hmm. didn't really dig into the history. It's, it really does seem like they sort of accepted like, yeah, drunk is the answer. And, and by the way, some might ask, uh, like, like, Hey, how were they not curious? Like, because there's this high heart rate and this low blood pressure. Um, like, but what about, or other people might be like, well, I mean, like, what about like, I've seen alcohol cause high heart rates. Um, I'm, I'm going to say a, a lot of my drug patients usually seem to have high heart rates. I don't they, know they, dude, they do. Um, yeah. And and that was Snake's comment. He was kind of like, D- d- we've transported, I've transported many a drunk and they all had like then the heart rate and blood pressure makes sense. And Chris, uh, it does it not will, make sense. The blood pressure oh, does not make sense. Oh, but anyway, go oh, ahead. Hold on here, sir. Well, so the dis- diastolic doesn't make sense, but that, you, that that's the just, point. That's my yeah. point. And, but the otherwise like, yeah, the one Oh eight, makes sense sure, the lower makes sense. systolic in this situation uh here we go i went on a little journey uh so there is a link to drinking and higher heart rates um but the thing is they're not sure why the mechanism is up for debate um there's the thought of like well there's dehydration uh which can co- then of course causes your body to go like all right let's move what we have faster um there could be an increased sympathetic output uh there could also be some vasodilation effects um so there are explanations but we're just not sure which of these causes it um what about alcohol and blood pressure because you know first most of the time we associate alcohol use with hypertension that's kind of the outcome of drinking too much uh, on a regular basis is you set yourself up to have high blood pressure um for some people there can be a temporary decrease in blood pressure a conquering review which uh, from my understanding is kind of the like chef's kiss of reviews uh they published in 2020 uh, a review of several randomized control trials and they came to this conclusion high dose alcohol has a biphasic effect on blood pressure it decreases blood pressure up to 12 hours after consumption and increases blood pressure after 13 hours uh after they've con- after consumption um high dose alcohol increases heart rate at all times up to 24 hours Findings of this review are relevant mainly to healthy males as only small numbers of women were included in these trials. So if you are a healthy male, this is and you drink a ton, you can be tachycardic and, you know, I guess have your blood pressure decreased to some degree. uh, And then after that, it goes exactly systolic. Um, Anyway, so I just I thought that was interesting because that was something I've always been like, "Uh, I think this is a thing. And they uh, thought it was a thing and I wasn't sure. So, I mean, I, I I will give some leeway in the sense that, you know, I mean, of course, like the tachycardia. I mean, I I agree with snake eyes. Tachycardia, 
lower systolic, that all winds up. But to me, that diastolic was just so consistently high that that's what takes away from alcohol. So I, I'm going to say yeah. this. I'm, I'm going to recommend a Mythbusters episode. Uh, the vasodilation uh, from alcohol, uh, I, I knew um, and I first learned it. I mean, it's, it's since been reinforced by more legitimate sources, but I learned it from an episode of Mythbusters where they were testing that if alcohol actually makes you warm and they did find out that it actually increased the, the, their skin temperature, uh, but oh. their, their core temperature did not change. And the reason that is, is because vasodilation, uh, allows blood to, because the alcohol causes vasodilation and it allows blood to, uh, go to the surface uh, where it will off put uh, body heat for a little bit of time. The problem is, is then if you're in a cold environment, which is what they were testing, uh, they would rapidly get colder uh, shortly after that. So they drink alcohol, you'd see an increase in their skin temp uh, pretty drastically at first. But now, of course, what's happening to all that heat that's moving to the outside, it's getting mm. rapidly cooled. And so yeah. uh, they determined that it, drinking alcohol is actually worse for you when you're cold because you yeah. will become, you'll feel slightly warmer for a small bit of time before you become severely hypothermic. Uh, but yeah. anyway. Uh, Low and so, be cold, baby. So, like, yeah, exactly. Then fall into a ditch. Uh, but anyway, so that that is why uh, the vasodilation part and what I talked about you know, diastolic BPs, that's why diastolic BPs are so important. We really don't emphasize diastolic BPs in EMS enough because most of our protocols when we're talking about blood pressure is almost always focused on that systolic. Uh, because we're always worried about, okay, what's the maximum pressure? In other words, like how much blood is getting to the brain? We don't really determine that with the diastolic, but the diastolic can give you a lot of clues as to what's going on in this case. And when we have an alcoholic, we, we should be suspecting vasodilation. When you have a high diastolic number, you should be expecting the opposite. It's vasoconstriction. Because mm-hmm. you got to remember, the diastolic is the lowest pressure in that system. So if the lowest pressure is high, that means without any input from the heart at all, the vasculature is exerting that much pressure uh, onto the system. And so that that's why this... That, anyway, that that's kind of why I... I not, not teed off, but that's kind of like, no, nah, it doesn't make sense. The whole picture of the blood pressure doesn't make sense. But I do give them credit. Have I seen systolic blood pressures and heart rates like that and drunk people before? Absolutely. Very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and okay. again, you know, like the, yeah. this is why I, we're all susceptible to this sort of, this oh, sort we of absolutely error. Are. We were and, all susceptible and, and we've all done it. Yeah. And just, yeah. just so you guys know, like I'm, I'm teeing off on it, but like I've, I've done it. So yeah, I can't. I can't tee off too hard. <laughs> All right. Um. So I think the, you know, outside of the, I don't know what was said to the triage nurse, uh, you know, and all of that. So I, I can't speak yeah. to that handoff. But I do want to say, based on the story that I was given, I really did like the report that Scarlet and Ripcord, uh, well, Scarlet provided. I and I agree that this was a perfect use of ALS. Uh, oh, not just because of the outcome, even if it had just been a drunk guy who went over, who sat in an ER and was totally fine. I think there's still like, it was still warranted. It's a syncopal yeah. patient who's having palpitations. They're intoxicated. You know, they're nauseated. It's like, even just for symptom relief, like, Hey, you guys have you guys have Zofran, you guys have fluids like, yeah, help, help it, this guy out. 
better yeah, patient like, care and there's yeah. more assessment tools available. So I, th- I think that that's, at, that's absolutely good. So yeah, for BLS providers out there, th- this is a great use of, of ALS Intercept. And I, I'm, I, I, you know, like if there is something that needs to be said that you, needs to be communicated to an ALS, like to, to, you know, a handoff provider and you're worried about the patient that, Hey, writing something down on the sheet and just kind of circling it, that's, that, that is a perfectly good method to get information unless mm-hmm. I have follow-up questions and which then I'm like, can I borrow your paper? And then right, we're yeah. just writing notes to each other behind the patient's back. <laughs> Check yes or no. Give it over. Um, <laughs> So uh, another another thing that, that I do want to point out, though, is that um, if you're looking at vital signs, and I don't know if this happened, but I, I've seen this before and, and I've heard of it before. Actually, I've done this before. Sometimes someone will see a vital sign. Like, let's say the BLS, the BLS crew saw that blood pressure and they're like, oh, that systolic or that diastolic is too high. I'm actually worried about a bleed. A lot of times, instead of making a statement for fear of being laughed at for being wrong, people will just list the vital signs. And just assume that, well, clearly the paramedic didn't react when I said that, so I must be wrong. Uh, don't. Yeah. Per, feel free to present, as a BLS provider, feel free to present your clinical impression. It's There's nothing wrong with you being like, hey, they got this blood pressure. I'm concerned that they might be hypovolemic for some reason. Uh, more than just, you know, beyond maybe alcoholism, I'm, I'm concerned about this because that diastolic is really high. And yeah. then at that point, like, they, they may still... They may still, at their own peril, ignore you, uh, or they may point out to you, like, "Yeah, I, I get that, but here's why I don't think that is the case." And then everybody learns and grows. If they're if they're a good provider, or if they're a really good provider, they'll be like, "Holy shit, you're right," and then they'll carry on. Um, yeah. But one other thing, I'm going to add. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I'm kind of ready to wrap this up. But yeah. um, one other thing I want to add: remorseful patients who who don't want to go, or who, well. I don't know if he didn't want, he wanted to go because the son wanted to go, but he was really remorseful, really like, I'm so sorry. And just really kind of, you know, like I'm an idiot. Sorry for bothering you guys, that kind of stuff. These are also people who are going to be reluctant to complain uh, because they just, they don't want to be there or rather they don't want to bother you. And so when someone is is like this and like, oh, I'm just drunk, they have a tendency when you're like, hey, anything wrong? No, 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 no. I'm I'm okay. I'm just I'm drunk. I need to go. My son wants me to go. So be be suspicious of their answers a little bit and and, uh, really start make make sure that your objective uh, that your objective assessments are better. Because I've had this case or or I guess are thorough. And so because I've had this case before where I've had I go people say, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Sorry, guys, I'm just drunk. I'm I'm really fine. I got to go to the hospital. I'm, I'm fine. And then I'm like, all right, we can do a physical assessment. And you're just kind of like, oh, hey, like you've been hiding your arm from me. It looks broken. Like it's messed up. And they're like, well, I fell on it, but it hurts, but it's no big deal. And you look at it and you're like, oh, no, buddy, like your wrist is fractured. You know, like that kind of stuff. So yeah. just be careful on these people because they're drunk. They're not feeling the pain that they're feeling. And if they're and if they're remorseful, they may also be reluctant. Minimizers. Um, Yes, minim- yeah. it, it, exactly. Just another form of, of minimizers. Uh, so, Spence, anything else before we, uh, before we go? No, man. That's, you want to take uh, us out awkwardly? Can you oh, take us I, out awkwardly? Oh, I'm ready to take you out awkwardly. Uh, Chris actually solved the whole thing. Every 911 call you go, every call that you respond on, just imagine it's me giving you the call. <laughs> there you go. That's solved it. it. We yeah. have solved 
the problem of human thinking. Yeah, you'll just be like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, you know, I did have a partner once that uh, we're just going to say our boss's name was Johnson. Uh, and he always said, yeah, before I before I ever do anything, I always uh, go like this. Uh, so, Mr. Johnson, and then I say what I'm going to do. If it still sounds like a good idea, then I do it. And so that's a good thing. Just put your <laughs> boss's name in front of anything you're about to do. And if it still sounds solid, you're good to go. All right. With that, everybody, thanks again for listening to another episode of EMS 2020. Go check out our YouTube channel. It's rapid sequence information on YouTube. You can find the links on our social media. And also, finally, just searching rapid sequence information on YouTube should turn up the right one. Don't search EMS 2020. You won't find it. Um, but you will find rapid sequence information. I don't know why I changed the name. Uh, and there's some videos up there. Uh, please go subscribe and like. Uh, and as always, check out our uh, our good friends over at GuardianCME.com. Get your continuing uh, education that you absolutely need for absolutely free. Uh, it's not a paywall. There's no paywall at all. You just you go there. You watch videos and listen to podcasts and you get continuing education for zero dollars. Uh, and it's as many as you want. There's no limit. So go check out GuardianCME.com. Get signed up. If you want your uh, call to be on this uh, on this wonderful show here and maybe give somebody else continue, some continuing education, uh, then submit your call to EMS2020podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on social media. It's EMS20 slash 20 on Facebook. And we are at EMS2020show on Instagram. With that, uh, goodbye.